My subject uh, this morning is, are you faking it to make it? You know, that's uh, an expression that has been used in the world a lot. Fake it to make it. And uh, I know as an employer, through the years, I've had uh, hundreds of employees uh, in different uh, aspects of my life. And I used to put an ad in the paper and looking for a certain employee. And then I, they would send me the resumes. And um, then I would look over the resumes. And then I would call them in for an interview. And when I was interviewing them, I soon realized that in some cases, this might not work with this particular individual. And so I would boil it down to the last three people that I thought would really work out well. And I'll never forget that I was going to dismiss this young lady. She just got out of college. And she was a, uh, a graphic artist. And I was looking for a graphic artist. And so I said to her, I said, well, I said, uh, I appreciate you coming in and everything. And I looked over your resume. And I see that you don't really have any experience. And, and I'm looking for somebody with experience because I have a, a lot of customers that I service. And, and she said to me, well, <clears throat> I, I'm just, I just got out of college. And if everybody's looking for experience, how, how do I get experience unless somebody will give me a chance? And I thought, good point, good point. I said, okay, I'll hire you. And I'll, I'll give you that opportunity and I'll work with you. And uh, normally I said I have uh, 90 days that I make up my mind. But I said, um, if you're willing to do that, well, I'm willing to work with you. Well. Six months later, I had to let her go because she wasn't the creative type that we were looking for. But it kind of broke my heart because I liked her and I liked some of the things that she did, but it just didn't fit our company. And uh, when I was in a medical supply company, I had a lot of people come in, nurses and stuff like that, and interviewed them. And... I knew right away that somehow something just wouldn't fit. But then I've also came up with the ones that I thought would just work out wonderful. And then it took me a little while, sometimes two or three weeks, before I found out they really didn't know what they were talking about when they told me about their, their experience. But they figured, well, I'll fake it and maybe I'll make it. And sometimes that just doesn't work out. But my question this morning is, why is it that Christians are faking it, hoping that someday, just maybe someday, it'll all come about, it'll all work out? Why do Christians wear more masks than unbelievers? We know that wearing a mask is a product of pretending something. Pretending that something in our life is true when, when our experience says it's not. 
So here's what's happening. Christians are trying to make God look good by having their act together. And that we have a tendency to hide our scars and pretend that everything is just great. God is good, they say. God, oh, this Christian life is wonderful. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And then the truth is, in their life, everything is falling apart. Nothing is going good. Their life is a mess. And they don't know what they're going to do. We become actors. And we sort of convince ourselves that it is our duty to act out the Christian life. Whether we feel it or experience it, it's our duty to God. And so, in their, eye, in their minds, the Christian is supposed to be perfect. The Christian is not supposed to have any problems. He's steadfast. He's a believer. He knows exactly what the way God is working in his life, and everything is going to be just fine. And yet it's not that way at all. Our mass deceives us into believing that we can hide from our true selves. But sooner or later, that mass will crack, and sometimes it'll break, and sometimes it will fall off. And we find ourselves going back to trying to please God so that everything might work out. Now, the problem is, is we convince ourselves that there's something wrong with us, uniquely and terribly wrong, because we can't get it to work out. It just seems, every time we give it a try, it just seems like it's, it just goes right down the tube. And so we hide. And that's what shame does. It drives us to hide. And we convince ourselves that we are not truly forgiven, that we are not really clean. And we know inside that we've been at this Christian life for so many years, and we kind of feel that it'll never get fixed. And sometimes the mass goes back on, and then we smile, and we start thinking seldom, seldom has heard a discouraging word, and we're happy Christians again. But soon we begin to twist reasoning, and we creep back into thinking that maybe there is something really wrong with me. And then we feel we don't feel worthy of it having even to work out. Because at night when we lay our head on our pillow at night, we start thinking about all the things that we have done or the things that we are thinking. And we say, this is not working as hard as I try. And so then we start adopting some kind of formula, some kind of strategy, some kind of discipline so that we can look and see what we have done. When we admit it, we finally come to that place where we said, okay, I'm faking it. 
I don't really feel the way I say things. I always say that God is good, God is good, God is good, and yet I don't really believe that God is that good. I say, oh yeah, everything's going to work out, everything is going to work out, all things work together for those who love the Lord, everything is going to work out, and yet deep down inside, they don't feel it's going to work out. So, where is our answer? Well, the facts are that if we don't access God's resources, we're not going to get above this. It's not going to go anyplace. So I want us to look at Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Now this is what the prophet foresaw and told. He says, I, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart. I will remove, excuse me, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now listen, every one of us, we're either... We're somewhere. We're either in Christ or we're in Adam. All of us were in Adam. When we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, then we became in Christ. And here the Bible says that I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you, take out that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So here's our first promise. That God is going to give us a new heart. That means that in our core. Deep down inside. In our core. We have a desire. To, to do what's right. Because we have been changed. We also have received that new spirit. And you'll notice that the word spirit is translated in lower S's. And that is to communicate that to, our, to us, that it's our human spirit that the Bible is speaking about. It's our human spirit that is exchanged. And then the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, but whoever, whoever is, is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now, I want you to get the image of that. We are united with Christ. We are one with him in spirit. That's who we are. But you may be saying to yourself, I know, I've read that text. You showed us that text before. But I know what you're saying, but I don't feel that I'm changed. I don't feel that I'm united with Christ. I did at one time in my life. And some people go backwards and they, and they think that when they first received Christ as their personal Savior... What a tremendous feeling that they had. What a tremendous experience that they had went through. But nowhere, you can search that Bible from cover to cover, and nowhere in the Bible does it say anything about feeling something. I know that the Christian church today, there's a lot of emphasis on, on feeling and experiencing God. I'm also aware that the circumstances we can create and a lot of us preachers are guilty of it. We create an atmosphere. We create an effect to reach the emotions. And God created us with emotions. Emotions are good. But I'm not talking about 
feelings and emotions. I'm talking about a deeper experience with God. God took that human spirit of yours and he gave you his spirit when you were born again, born of God, born of the spirit. God doesn't live in our emotions and our feelings because sometimes our emotions are all over the place. We can't control them. They just go crazy. First John. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Here it is, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The word is no. It doesn't say, I write these things so that you can feel eternal life. He doesn't say, I write these things so that you can experience eternal life. Eternal life. He says that I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know it. Now, also it says, ask anything. And look, look how the Christian world has twisted this. Ask anything according to his will, and he hears us. I remember one time I picked up the newspaper, and there was a nun who bought some tickets to the lottery. And she said, they interviewed her, and she said that if she won, she would give it to Mother Teresa in India for all that she does there. And I think it was like two or three million dollars. I don't know what she, I don't know what her vision of, of, uh, of what she did or what she said. Did she think that God was looking down and saying, oh, she's really serious. Yeah. They could use a couple million dollars down there, so I'll fix the numbers so that she wins. I don't think so. I don't think that's the way God works. This text, when you ask anything, this text is talking about eternal life. When you ask for eternal life, he will give you. He's, he's, he's saying that according to his will. He'll give you everything that you need according to his will. It's not that, Lord, okay, give me a Mercedes-Benz. Give me a Lamborghini. Give me... No, it's not that way at all. So we have kind of twisted. And I've watched over the years. In some churches, every week there's an altar call. And some of the same people come down week after week after week. Why do you suppose they do that? Because they feel a vacuum, an emptiness. They feel in need. And they feel a love for God. And they, and they want to prove to God that they are sincere. They want to give God their all. The right motive, but the wrong belief. You see, you are everything to God. God says that you are complete in him. You don't need to prove how much you love God. God knows how much you love him. But there's been a problem when we feel that we have to experience some sort of closeness to God. Christ lives in you. You cannot get any closer than that. He lives in you and he lives through you. 
What God wants you to do is believe that. Because if you don't, you start questioning yourself and your relationship with God. And sometimes people come to the place where they really wonder if they're really saved. They can turn the TV on and listen to a preacher that maybe doesn't believe in eternal security or that you can, that you can know that you're saved. And he can give you all those scriptures and all of a sudden you're thinking, well, I wonder if I am saved. But the Bible says that you can know that you're saved. That when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are saved. Now, in Romans, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, that's pretty plain. If you can declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it, then you will be saved. Then the Bible says, for it is with your heart that you believe. I want you to know something here. It's not with your feelings. It's not with your emotions. It's with your heart. What heart do you have? God, when you accepted, when you asked Christ to come into your life, he performed that heart surgery. He took that stony heart out, that Adam heart, and he gave you his heart. That's why the Bible says in 1 John that you will not sin. And that's true. From the heart, you will not sin. From the body, you will. From the flesh, you will. But from the heart, no, you will not sin. He gave you his heart. You know that you couldn't say that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit living in you. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It's very plain, very simple. It's what the, it's what the word of God says. Salvation is knowing. Salvation is not a feeling. It's not an experience. Although many of us have had experiences, we've had feelings, but that's not what it is. It's knowing. And just like forgiveness. Forgiveness is knowing. It's not a feeling. So, Corinthians 2, 3. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God can say, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So, I want you to get the picture of this. You invited Jesus Christ into your heart. He came into your Whether you were 10 years old or whether you were 12, whether you were 20, whether you were 40, whether you were 60, or whether you were 90, if you asked Christ to come into your life, he came in. And what he did, he performed that heart surgery, gave you that new heart, that clean heart, that heart that doesn't want to sin, the heart that says it can't sin. That's what he gave you. But he also left you with a flesh. He also left you with that, that indwelling sin. But the Bible is very clear. He has made us perfect. And we don't feel perfect, but we are perfect. 
When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. Now, get the impact of this. How many of your sins were forgiven? All, the Bible says. All of your sins. Then the Bible says, and then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. First of all, he forgives us all of our sins, our past, our present, and our future. They have all been forgiven. And then he says, I will remember those lawless acts no more. I'll remember those sins no more. Because of what? The Bible says here, and where they, these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That's a tough one. That's hard to believe, but it's true. We've been made perfect forever. Your forgiveness is a finished work. Your salvation, when Christ went on the cross and said it is finished, it was a finished work. Your forgiveness is a finished work. But you know, people fight this tooth and nail. Sometimes they say to me, it, it, it almost freaks them out. They'll say, you mean to tell me that next week's sins are already forgiven, whether I confess them or not? Is that what you're saying? I said, no. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's what God says. It's not me. You can't blame it on me. This is what God says is true. God says that he has made you perfect forever. God says he's taken those sins. He's buried them into the depths of the sea. God says that you are when he says that you are made perfect forever, he knew that you were going to continue to sin. Those sins are forgiven whether you confess them or not. Now, let me say this. It's a wonderful thing when a child of God will acknowledge that sin. And that's what we do. We acknowledge that sin. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you sin? I'll tell you what comes to my mind. I say to myself, oh, that was so stupid. What in the world was I thinking? Why did I give in to that? An unbeliever, the Bible says that an unbeliever practices sin. So an unbeliever, when he sins, he doesn't say, oh, that was stupid. He says, oh, that was great. I can't wait to do it again. Because he practices sin. A believer, he's got that new heart that doesn't sin. But his flesh, that indwelling power of sin that Paul talks about in Romans 7, it's there. And when he gives in to that, he says, what was I thinking? I wasn't thinking that was the problem. But the Bible says, 
that we are to examine ourselves. But for one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And then the Bible says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. And then the Bible says, but I trust that you shall know that we are not reprobates. The Bible says here, test yourself. Test yourself. So, I think that we ought to test ourselves. We ought to test ourselves whether we're in the faith. So let's settle it once and for all. Let's test ourselves and see if we fail the test. Can you call Jesus Lord? Have you called Jesus Lord and you believe it? If you did, you've passed the test. It's just that simple. You've passed the test according to the Bible. Do you believe that Jesus Christ lives in you? Yes. You've passed the test. Do you believe that all of your sins are forgiven? Yes. You've passed the test. You never have to be concerned whether you are good enough, strong enough, worthy enough. You've already passed the test. The Bible says that when you can say that, it says that you are sealed under the day of redemption. You are sealed. You've passed the test. There's no other test that you have to take. You've passed it. If Jesus is Lord and I believe it with all my heart. You've passed the test. You've been sealed under the day of redemption. But I know that... <clears throat> That sometimes our identity is, is a tough one. But our identity is not a feeling. Our identity is a knowing. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's what the Bible says. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Whether you believe it or not, that is what we are. The reason the world does not know him is in that it did not know him. The world did not know him. You and I know him. And we are safe and secure in the arms of Christ. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. What do you suppose the Bible means we shall be like him? Well, we already have Christ's heart. When we accepted him, that surgery took place, stony heart out, his heart in. We're like him. When Christ comes, we will see him face to face, and we will be like him.
Now, I know there are times that I don't feel like a child of God. I know that. But again, let me say this. God doesn't say that we would feel it. He says that you are, and that's good enough for me. You are a child of the living God, whether you feel it or not. Some say, I feel bad. Well, there's a reason for that. All who have this hope in him purifies themselves, just as he is pure, the Bible says. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Wonderful news. It's the great news of the gospel. Everyone who has his hope purifies themselves. You may feel at times far from God. You may feel dirty. You may go through all these things because of, of sin. You may feel all that. But the Bible says that you are close and clean with him. That's how, that's how God sees you. Close and clean. And he loves you whether you feel it or not. But sometimes people say, I just don't feel it because I blow it all the time. And I, I don't know how many of you have ever felt alive to sin. Am I the only Am I the only one that has felt alive to sin? Some, we have five senses that, that the devil tempts us through. And, and, and sometimes I do. I feel alive to sin. And I think, oh, that would be great. That would be wonderful. That would, oh, I know it's not right, but the feeling or the experience of it, oh, I know I shouldn't do it, but just the thought of it, and then you start thinking more about it, and then all of a sudden you find yourself thinking, 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 and then you remember what the Bible says. Count yourself dead to sin. Reckon that you are dead to sin. Reckon. It's, it, it's, it's true. It's, it's something there. You reckon it. You count it. And then all of a sudden you say, I'm dead to that. I, no, I don't want any part of that. I'm dead to that. That is victory in Christ. Victory in Christ. So, in the same way, you and I, every day of our life, we're going to face temptation. We're going to, trace, we're going to face trials, tribulations. There's one thing that we need to remember is that we are in Christ. Christ lives in us. Christ wants to live through us. Every aspect of our life, it doesn't make any difference what you're doing, who you're with, who you're visiting. He wants to live his life through you. Do we believe it? Do we really believe it? Do we believe that we are totally changed? Or are we trying to fake it to make it? Are we just looking at life and thinking that Oh, I know I'm not what I should be, and I know I'm this, I know I'm this, woe is me, I'm, I'm a bad, I'm dirty, rotten. No, God does not save a dirty, rotten person. 
No, when you're saved, he has made you clean. You are clean and as close to him as you'll ever be in your life. You are safe and secure. Nothing can take you out of the hands of God. Lo, I'll be with you always, even to the very end. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the wonderful promises that you have given to us, that you'll be with us all the way to the end, that you understand our sufferings. You've been through it all. You know what we go through. And we appreciate everything that you're doing for us, in us, and through us. Help us have a great day today. Bless us to this end, I pray. For I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.